Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 106. Today we'll be discussing why we are Kodai-inspired teachers, what is unique to a Kodai framework, and why we both teach with this philosophy in mind. We'll also share highs and lows from our teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, offer a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in or out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now we are going to share some highs and lows from our teaching week. Um, but first, I'll, I'll share on our behalf, Tanya, a collective okay. high. Just uh, last weekend, we were at the Colorado Music Educators Association Conference where we presented a session together and Tanya so gracefully stepped in and presented two, right? Two extra sessions? Yeah, there was first a presenter who was not able to make it. So yeah, I, I did some a couple more sessions on the day before. Um, well, on the first day of the conference. Yeah. And we got some really great feedback, both on our together session and Tanya's individual sessions. And um, it was so nice when we have people who come up to us and say, we listen to your podcast. We really appreciate what you do. It's just always very affirming for us that this work that we're doing, people are actually listening. So yeah, that's very exciting because oftentimes you and I joke a lot about like, well, no one's hearing this anyway. It's all right. This into the void. We're just yeah. putting it into the, you know, who knows if anybody's listening. Yeah. Um, but so we big, do. No. Big thank you to Rocky, the Regional Organization of Colorado Kodai Educators, for sponsoring us and having us at that session. We had a fabulous time and we saw some other really great presentations and it was just a lovely time at CMEA. Yes. Yes. It was wonderful. And we are looking forward to going to uh, to present at the Oak Conference, the Organization of American Kodai Educators, uh, March third, fourth, and fifth is where is when the conference is happening, and uh, our session is Work Smarter, Not Harder: Bridging Musical Concepts Through Song Literature, and we are raring to go for that. Yeah, and I just saw today, again, Oak is um, extending the early bird deadline for that conference. I believe it closes on February 21st. Does that sound right? That's the yes. date that's in my head. So if you have not registered for that conference, you will definitely want to do so by February 21st to get and the early is, bird rate. It is in Pittsburgh. Yes, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yes. And if okay. you go, definitely come and say hi to us because it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy when people yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's get to it, Tanya. Oh, and we should also say, I mean, another hi. It's a snow day today. It's a snow day. We Hooray. are. We're recording today because we had some time. And so um, we're enjoying, you know, being in cozy clothes and in cozy homes. And um, yeah, we're enjoying our snow day today. But yeah, other than that, like, Tanya. Yes. What's going on in your teaching world? Okay. In my teaching world. Well, this is really interesting. Um, This is a this is a high. So I just have to um, mention that what's really fun about using things like Soundtrap, uh, and I know that Carrie, you do a lot of Soundtrap projects throughout this, the year, is uh, you see when students go back and they update something or they work on something. And it just really, it warms my heart to see that I have students, even from last year, who I don't teach this year because of, you know, whatever circumstances they're in a different class than the one I'm teaching, um, who are still working on their soundtrack 
projects That's so cute. that we started last year. And I just think that, I mean, boy, we we're going to talk a lot about lifelong learning and how we really want to make an impact with the students that we teach and that we want them to take this away. They're one of their takeaways to be, you know, I don't have to be just music making and musical in the music room. Like this can be a for fun thing. This yeah. can be something that I work on in my free time. And, and I just, I love that. So that's my high is little updates from Soundtrap that I kids are that. working on stuff. Yeah. What about you, Carrie? Um, I have a high slash funny story um, that happened last week in kindergarten because, you know, the best stories come from kindergarten. So I have um, last week I saw my dual language classes at my home school because we have one class per grade level that the students are dual language, which means they are taught truly bilingual. It's supposed to be 50-50, but we know in kindergarten it's definitely a lot more Spanish. Now, I do not speak Spanish well. Um, I do my best. I try for sure. I I wish I did more. Um, but my students are really good about, you know, they they are able to translate for each other and help each other out and all that, which is great. All that to say, though, I do have this kiddo who doesn't have a lot of English skills yet, um, but bright little kiddo. He sits right next to me because we sit in a circle in kindergarten and his assigned spot is right next to me. And um, we were singing songs about snowmen and we were singing, you know, once there was a snowman, snowman, snowman from the the Amadons I'm Growing Up book. And in that song, you know, then the snowman melts down. So we were just doing some body motions where we were moving our body up. And then, oh no, the sun came out and we we're moving our body down. And every time the, the snow or the sun came and the snowman melted, I would like fake cry and, oh, I'm so sad my snowman melted. Can you help me make another one? And that was like our carrot to, to repeat it multiple times because, you know, kiddos love repeating things. Well, anyways, we got to a point where we had done this a few times and we had built our snowman up and I said uh oh the sun is coming and he goes damn it <laughs> just let it fly and the the hilarious thing is like the other kids really didn't react because I don't think a lot of them necessarily know that word in English because I kind of like gauge like how do I deal with this and I just kept going but it was just so funny his reaction because he was just like so frustrated that that snowman kept melting and he just let it fly damn it <laughs> when the snowman melted again sorry if you have young ears we didn't do a disclaimer right before you said that. oh gosh I'm sorry I just had to say because it was so funny <laughs> it was so funny so yeah now in my head every time something happens and I think that word in my head I hear this little boy's voice in my head and that's that's the voice that I use now in my head when I need to say that word in your it just, head it just cracked me up And it's time for our main theme. Why Kodai? Why? Yeah. why? Why do we choose to call ourselves? Well, it's more than calling ourselves. I mean, I think I, for one, and I know you as well, I work hard to really um, put Kodai philosophies and strategies and practices, you know, to work. And yes. I, I do like, um, I know that there's a lot of people who teach general music who consider themselves eclectic. And I, I respect that. I understand that. And um, until I got my Kodai training, I definitely was someone who was just taking from a lot of different places. Um, but once I learned about the Kodai framework, um, I really aimed and continued to aim to 
have my teaching be within this Kodai philosophy. Um, anyway, there's so much more that we could say specifically about the different philosophies. And I know that it's a very popular opinion right now and has been for a while that uh, people say, well, I just take from Orf and I take from the Delcro's world and I take from the Kodai. And I don't think that's the best way to go about teaching, frankly. And here's why. I don't think that the philosophies are all that similar. I know that there are people who will disagree and say that, you know, they're so similar, but they're not really. Because if you look at the ORF process, let's just take something like singing. In an ORF process, you start with speech, right? Mm -hmm. In a Kodai inspired classroom, you start with singing. So mm -hmm. right away, we've got some differences. And you know, if you want to email me and, and argue, I love to argue about it. I mean, yeah. honestly, I do. Because, <laughs> well, uh, here's what I think it is too, is, you know, I think a lot of people say I, I'm a quote unquote Kodai teacher, or I teach the Kodai method or whatever, but what they're really referring to are the tools. And you've talked right. about this so much. Exactly. We've talked about it together that, you know, just because you're using solfa in your class or hand signs or stick notation, those are tools that are associated with the Kodai philosophy. That does not a Kodai teacher quote unquote make. So the purpose of this podcast, we're going to really get more into the philosophical stuff and we're going to go old school because we're going to be throwing a lot of, of quotes at you from Zoltan Kodai himself. But the purpose of this is that we, we want to focus on more of the big ideas, the big philosophy, and not just the specific tools associated with right. the method. Right. And that's, and thank you for bringing that up because that is really what I think a lot of times um, my disagreements with people comes down to is that uh, people mistake if you use ORF instruments, then you're teaching ORF, but that's not the case. Right, right. Right. You can use, those are tools. If you use hand signs, well, you must be a Kodai teacher and that's not the case either. I mean, right. I know plenty of Kodai teachers who don't use hand signs. It's right. about the philosophy um, behind teaching music. And it's about like what you start with. What are the tenets? What are the most important things? And when you look at Delcros or ORF, or Kodai, they all, of course, are in the service of music and music education, but they all go about it in different ways. Now, not, that's not to say I don't go to ORF workshops and see something that I love and then use it, but I'm going to put it in my Kodai framework. Right. And I'm probably not going to extend it in the way that an ORF teacher might. Sure. Um, and, you know, the ORF process is a beautiful thing, and it's not what I'm doing. I, right. I, you know, this Kodai philosophy and um, the main tenets, they speak more to me and what I've experienced as a music teacher and a musician. And, and this is where I want to live. And I can always feel like I can always get better at all the things. And that's another thing is that if you're going to be in this profession for the long haul, you should find yourself Im immersed in how to grow as an educator, a, a lifelong learner um, looks for ways to improve the practice all the time. So that's totally. what I want to do. Yeah. 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 More than just like, I got to get through my kindergarten class tomorrow. You know, I really want to take it deeper than that. And um, society is also providing us lots of opportunities to see how, oh, okay, well, we've got these new circumstances to deal with like a pandemic now how do we how do we make music education work 
under these circumstances. So, I mean, right. it, it's, it's a lot of, it, it's work, but it's stuff that I enjoy. And I feel like I can have a lifelong education um, and a lifelong teaching career totally this philosophy yes yeah yeah i i mean we've talked about this before with you know burnout and everything and um you know both you and i have been at it this for a long time 20 plus years both of us and i think truly having a deep-rooted philosophy and really steeping yourself in that philosophy is going to carry you through your career just looking for the new bright shiny trendy thing you see on instagram or teachers pay teachers that's not going to do it those are great little tools you can insert into like you said the philosophy you're already teaching from but if you are well rooted in your philosophy and you can speak to it and you can hold it dear every day when you teach that's what's going to create that longevity and that long career that we all hope to have when we start our first day of teaching right exactly and i tell you at the beginning of my career i was not i was not awesome at all um i did not know what i was doing i know a lot of people say that but i really felt adrift and i felt lost and then i saw jill trinka dr jill trinka present at a conference in new mexico And that was a big turning point for me because I just wanted what she was having. Right. (laughs) I wanted to do, I'm like, this is wonderful. I love these songs. I love what she's doing. I love how she's teaching us. It's so musical. That's what I want. What's that about? And that was the beginning of my Kodai journey. So, yeah, no, that's great. And I have said before on this podcast that Tanya was part of the beginning of my Kodai journey. I mean, I knew a lot because I was lucky enough in undergrad to have uh, a Kodai trained teacher as our music ed professor. And we, we did a little bit of learning about ORF and learning about different philosophies, but I remember she did a lot with us that was Kodai inspired and feeling like this is definitely my home. I knew that I wanted to get Kodai training as soon as I could. And then Tanya came and did a workshop at my district, like my first or second year there. And I was like, okay, where do I go? Where do I sign up? And here we are many, many, and here we are many Aww. years later, but all right, well, let's get to it. So, um, yes. you know, uh, our, our main theme today is, you know, what draws us to the philosophy? What are the things that we just really feel and see in others when they teach this philosophy and in ourselves, hopefully. Um, and so we're going to start by talking about joy, joyfulness, yes. joyful music making. And uh, the quote I'd like to share, a lot of the quotes that we have are from um, a book. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's called The Selective Writings of Zoltan Kodai. And this English version, we believe this is just the one version, um, you know, you can still find it used. It's a wonderful book to have because just reading, you know, his words, it, it really brings you to the root of what this is all about. Teach music and singing in, at school in such a way that it is not a torture, but a joy for the pupil, instill a thirst for finer music in him, a thirst which will last for a lifetime. So to me, this quote just always reminds me that I want my music class to feel joyful. And that's not to say that we don't experience other emotions in the music room too. But as an elementary music teacher, especially, I want students to look forward to coming into my room. I want students to come out humming and singing and happy. I want that moment when it's we start singing our goodbye song or we start lining up where kids go, oh, already? And yes, that does exactly. happen. And I when know, I started, I love it. yeah, when I started teaching with this philosophy in mind, I saw that happen and went, okay, this, I'm on the right track, right? 
right? Right. Yes. So, and that, that idea of joy, like you were saying, is what it's all about. And we also know that developmentally, the child's job is play. Yes. And that is how they learn. That is where they're going to really get their big ideas that are going to stay with them is through play. And we can see this you know, at a very young age. And honestly, I believe in this idea of joy and play in the music room all the way, uh, probably, you know, maybe all the time, like kindergarten, definitely up until middle school, it looks a little different. Play looks a little different and, you know, into high school. And I tell you what, you and me, we're, we're been around a long time and I love to play. Right. And I, love getting together with other music teachers. And I tell you, you were talking about burnout earlier and nothing lights my fire again, like going to a music teacher workshop or in-service where we do play and we get to play. And it also, the whole idea of joy is not just for the students, but it really, I get excited about teaching a specific song or game. And I still do. And if I don't, I put that song away for a while. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're going to do snail snail with the kindergartners. I can't wait to see how they, you know, love it and how it goes for them. And, you know, I do love to play with the children in this environment, you know, totally. So Go ahead. Talk more about joy. Oh, no, no, no. I was just you had some bullet I mean, points that I didn't want to. Oh, no, this is, we're just talking. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so singing games are obviously going to be a big part of a Kodai inspired classroom. If you go see a, you know, Kodai inspired teacher, that's what you're going to see. A lot of our singing games, dancing, those kind of things, um, movement and folk dancing um, for two reasons. One, because it's super, super fun. And that's really what we want the, the kids to know. But then we know that we are also teaching them because they're listening, they're hearing those melodic and rhythmic patterns, those harmonic changes, those form things. And then later we can call it to their attention. Oh, hey, remember when we were singing, you know, bow, wow, wow, me, ray, do, you know, and we're not going to get into the whole pedagogy thing today, but that's really what it comes at is that we, like you said, we're teaching through play, um, using things like puppets and manipulatives and scarves and all these bright, fun things that the kids can actually touch and feel and play with. They're learning in that, in that tactile way as well. So, um, a Kodai inspired classroom looks fun and it is fun, but there's so much learning going on within that fun. And that was the very first thing that attracted me to the philosophy is how fun it was. Yes. It's not torture. And when you start to feel like it's torturous, then the kids have felt it a long time before you have totally you should change gears. And I will be the first to say that I definitely have caused torture in my room. I mean, not, you know, <laughs> physically, but yes, there have been, especially early on in my career where I'm like, feel like I'm beating a dead horse yeah. and no one's having fun. And then I step back and go, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Why am I leading us into this right so, yeah yeah and i think um one thing that, that we get a bad rap for as Kodai inspired teachers is this quote-unquote drill and kill you know where you're taking rhythm patterns or solfege patterns and you might be doing something that you call a game but really it's just the kids just repeating patterns echoing patterns and and that's fine and i play lots of games like that too you know poison pattern types games and flashcard games and that's great but that's only for five six minutes in a class period we're not sitting and doing that for 30 to 45 minutes because that's going to 
feel monotonous and not joyful to the kids. And it's always in the context of a game or a competition, or there's something inherently fun about it's not just now we will read these flashcards. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's about tying it back to the song literature, taking patterns from the songs you were just doing, doing some activities where you're reading those patterns in isolation, and then you're right back to the to the joyful active music making again. So it's yep. finding that balance. That's what it is. Awesome. All right. Well, okay. what shall we talk about next? Well, I will go into our next quote regarding musicianship. And this is from the excellent essay, Who is a Good Musician? which you should have a copy of. If you don't, I bet you can find a copy. I, it's even, I, I love this. It's even humorous at times, which is great. It There's is like it's, some little it's, funny things in here. It's one of the first things that my level one students read each yeah. summer. And we talk about it in detail. Uh, musicianship. On the basis of what has been said, the characteristics of a good musician can be summarized as follows. Number one, a well-trained ear. Number two, a well-trained intelligence. Number three, a well-trained heart. Number four, a well-trained hand. All four must develop together in constant equilibrium. As soon as one lags behind or rushes ahead, there is something wrong. And uh, if you're following along with your selected writings of Kodai, this is on page 197. Nice. Um, And yeah, this is wonderful because it really talks about a musician as a well-rounded human person striving. like the well-trained ear, well-trained intelligence, a well-trained heart. Boy, we could take each one of these things and really flesh out what that means. And a well-trained hand. Yeah. Just, oh, I love that. Um, so yeah, it's the musicianship is doesn't just stop at reading skills, reading melodic skills or reading rhythmically or being able to play in the orchestra. But, you know, all of these things in equilibrium, And boy, this is what I, as a musician, aim for. This is what any of my students, I would like for them to aim for. And this is a fun challenge to see if we can have all of these things folded into our music teaching as we go throughout the year, because you don't want to leave out a well-trained heart. You want to bring students to understand and, and, uh, you know, gain some empathy through music, gain some connection with others through music, some understanding, like, oh, there's just. Well, and the thing that I love about this is, you know, it, it pushes against that horrible, those who can't do teach mentality that not only are you talking about amazing musicianship of our students, I'm talking about us as the teachers, that we have to be of the highest quality musicians to be able to teach our youngest musicians, you know, and I even see this, you know, within our, our music education world that I still think there's a bit of a stigma against elementary music teachers, that we are not of the best quality musicians compared to our secondary colleagues who are teaching band orchestra and choir and that is a frustrating thing because we know it's not true and um i will say having gone through kodai training and you too tanya you know those musicianship solfege classes they kick your butt in the best way possible that was some of the best um enriching musical experiences i've ever had as far as getting my ear tuned up and and making sure that i am the best musician i can be and 
in Kodai training, you've got choir and you've got conducting. So, you know, not only in these trainings are we learning how to be amazing pedagogues, we're also learning how to be amazing musicians ourselves. And that trickles down to our students. So anyways, just had to say that because that's just something that's on my heart a lot when I think about musicianship of us as teachers. I do too. And I remember when I left my undergrad program and I graduated and I, I think I had a couple of music professors, education professors who said, well, now that you um, are a, going to be a music teacher, you're no longer a musician, which just broke oh, my heart. And I thought that was the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because um, <laughs> I thought, why, why would you just leave that behind and say, I mean, if you're a teacher of something, don't you have to be it and embody it yes. before you pass it on to others? So I totally agree with like the Kodai training. You know, sometimes I think, man, I need to go do my Kodai training again, especially (laughs) for some, I want to dig into some more musicianship and choir and, oh, that would be a wonderful thing. I wish I had time during um, our Institute to go and sit in with Solfege and, oh, it would be wonderful. So good. And the other thing I'll speak to you on this one, if you don't mind, before we move on is, you know, also the, the thing that I love about this philosophy is, you know, the very careful sequencing and, you know, the sequencing and the scaffolding of musical elements. It depends on where you live in the world. It depends on, you know, your own students, um, that there isn't just one Kodai sequence that everyone is expected to follow. But the point is you develop a sequence based on your training, based on your students that works for you and your students. Mm-hmm. But what I love about it is through that careful sequencing, we're able to develop those musicianship skills with our students in a way that's very organic and child-friendly. Yes. And I think that's one of the best tenets of the philosophy is, um, you know, you, you leave training with an idea of, okay, now I know where I want to take my students and I have a path to get them there. It's not just throwing this activity at them and now this one and this one, cause they're fun. It's also knowing that really well, carefully laid plan to get them where you want them to go. Exactly. Yeah. And that's teaching, right? Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. All right. So our next quote today has to do with high quality and well-researched materials. So this is the quote that I have chosen. Let us take our children seriously. Everything else follows from this. True, in theory, we profess only the best is good enough for a child. But in practice, this is mostly reduced to anything is good enough for a child. He will play even with a button. So I wanted to make sure I included the full quote there because I know a Thank lot you. of times I know. we always hear <laughs> we hear the first it. part, which is actually written in sarcasm, which is important to note that, you know, his point is a lot of times we say as adults, oh, yeah, I give my kid the best thing, but then we either dumb it down or we just give them something that's kind of sparkly and fun, but it doesn't have that good high quality value. Um, mm-hmm. So really, and, and I know this is a sticky topic because then it becomes, well, who's to decide what is high quality and this we have to really get into understanding you know making sure we are representing our students making sure we are representing many cultures and many people we're not just talking about promoting just western european 
you know, white music education, we want to make sure we are promoting all things. But to me, it's like, what stands the test of time? What's something that's been passed down through cultures, you know, orally, um, you know, and so really it's folk music. That's what we're getting at. We're talking about folk music that has just stood the test of time and has been passed down from generation to generation. And whether it's being taught through literacy skills or just being taught orally, um, that to me is what is considered high quality. Exactly. And I, I don't, I wish I would have looked at this quote, but I just thought about it. Um, but the quote of to write a quality folk song is like writing a proverb, you know, it's just not oh, right. Yeah. Th- that quote. So the idea of these folk songs lasting throughout time, that's very significant, but it's also that it follows the speech patterns, the melodic and the rhythmic patterns of the people from that time and it's stuck with generations after that now that is not to say that we don't have songs that we should leave behind because we do for sure oh, yes oh, and yeah. that's it and we we've talked off and on about that now some of those tunes some of those rhythms some of those melodies are things that have lasted the test of time however they're detrimental to groups of people. And if they're detrimental to groups of people because they are making fun of, or, you know, if it has harmed, then I don't want to prolong the life of that particular song. Right. And there's, there's, there's lots to consider. We won't get into that, but I know that this has been a sticky thing when we talk about folk songs and using quality folk music and what exactly that means. But I will say that, yes, there are songs that have stayed alive. Does that always make them awesome to teach? No, because nope. <laughs> not as problematic. But, you know, it's not something like um, Hot Cross Buns has not been promoted by a record company. There was no <laughs> record exec that was like, how do we market Hot Cross Buns and make sure it stays around for years and years and years? You know, these are things that have just permeated the culture and stayed around for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, and this is why we use folk songs. Right. Not and that's just why we don't we, use other things either. Sure. So. And that's why when I started this section, I said high quality and well-researched materials. Cause I know, you know, in the Kodai inspired world, we talk about high quality materials, high quality materials, but I think it's that second half that we need to also make sure is there that it's high quality, but also well-researched by you, by you, the educator, that if you're going to put this song or this activity in front of your students, you know, where it came from at least a little bit enough that you know, that it is not going to be harmful to people with the, with the information you have now and then if and when you gain information that it is not appropriate then you know better and you do better and now you find something else to teach your kids exactly and we can find quality folk music of every culture um it does not have to be only music from our culture exactly at this point and i'm always saying this kodai was not alive to see the internet right was not in a 21st century world And I really believe had he been, then he would definitely have understood that we are not of one culture right now. Our societies are, you know, that it's, it's not as though, okay, um, I'm English and I'm only English, right? We have other cultures in our world, in our heritage. And so I do include, and I know Carrie does too, we include music from other cultures 
as well. Sure. Yeah. And one other thing I just want to mention about that, again, this is slightly a plug to encourage folks to get some training. There was some level training or at least attend workshops is that, you know, no product from TPT or shiny thing off of Instagram is going to steep you in the knowledge of this folk music as much as taking your levels training, because that's where you not only learn where to collect these songs from various sources, you also learn how to research things. You learn, you know, the how to extract patterns from these for pedagogical purposes. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's different. You know, I can buy a book that's a collection of folk songs and that's lovely, or I can buy someone's product off TPT and that's fine but what i'm saying is you're not going to get that that experience of really uh, truly immersing yourself in it until you are in that training that's exactly. that's where the good stuff happens i agree okay yeah. all right i'm going to read one of my very favorite quotes uh regarding the emphasis on music education in early childhood I would advise my young colleagues the composers of symphonies to drop in sometimes at the kindergarten too it is there that it is decided whether there will be anyone, anybody to understand their works in 20 years time. And that's from his uh, essay, Music in the Kindergarten. Um, yeah, so I really love this quote because it speaks to the importance of early music education. Yeah. And how, you know, it's, everyone's concerned about who's in the opera, who's the, conductor here at the symphony who's in the opera hall who's doing the big things but if we don't educate young people from an early age then they're not going to appreciate music they're not going to love music they're not going to perform music they're definitely not going to be consumers of music right so it's about music as a lifelong pursuit and a lifelong enjoyment and a lifelong focus that can really enrich your life. Because we know if you're a music teacher, I'm sure you feel this as well, that music is not an extra. It's not like man um, made fire, found shelter, ate killed and ate something, and then they were good. Music, art, these things, they coincided with your daily existence of what it took uh, for societies to to stay alive and for societies to continue on music art these things are inherent with us and people will do them no matter if they're well fed or if they have a house to live in or whatever so music is part of us people are going to create music we want people to appreciate understand love music look at what's going on in kindergarten yeah Yep. And I would say not just composers of symphonies, but again, I don't mean to be harping on our secondary friends. We have lovely music educators in secondary classrooms, but again, do all secondary uh, teachers truly understand the amazing, wonderful things that's happening in elementary school? Not all the time, <laughs> because I know that I've had conversations with my own colleagues in secondary. They're like, oh, wow, they're already learning how to read music in elementary school. Yes, they are. They're <laughs> so not born they at 14. You, they already yeah. know how to read a lot of this stuff. Now you just got to put that instrument in their hand, right? And that's a very well, specific I... example. But again, more just about the like inherent joy and, and understanding of music from an early age and how kids can they can understand music on a very deep level not just fluffy stuff but they yes. can really dig in and understand the constructs of music if it's presented to them in a pedagogically sound scaffolded sequential way 
Yes. And I will tell you, if you um, haven't received your Kodai training, you will be amazed uh, once you do start teaching with this philosophy in mind. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you have secondary teachers who come to you and say, you know what? The, te- the students that come from your program, I have noticed a difference. Yep. I, that has happened. And oh, I can yeah. say that my secondary teachers have been, they do understand yeah. because they've asked me like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. how, why, why do you have more kids in band from your school than others? And, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see that. And I don't think it's a coincidence. No, hundred percent not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next big idea that we promote and we know Oak, the Organization of American Kodai Educators promotes is the idea of music is truly for everyone. And here's a lovely quote. If everybody wanted to play first violin, there would not be an orchestra. Honor every musician in his own place. So this idea of every child as an individual deserves a high quality music education, doesn't matter which school, doesn't matter which socioeconomic group, doesn't matter which racial background, we all deserve a high quality music education, a high quality music teacher, and uh, a program that supports that. And this is, you know, something that obviously you and I both believe in as public school music teachers, myself having worked in Title I schools my whole career, this is big. And I mean, of course, no one's going to say it's not. But, um, you know, the, what I love about the Kodai philosophy is that it does practice what it preaches in that, again, if we are embracing the cultural background of our students and we're making sure we're presenting music to them that is accessible and meaningful to them, that is huge. Um, another thing, and this is just a practical thing, but it's but I love about it, is that <laughs> you don't need a lot of stuff to be a Kodai-inspired educator and be able to teach your kids really well. Um, you know, yes, it's lovely to have instruments and have manipulatives and have all these things but if i just showed up in a classroom um, myself and maybe a tuning fork i feel like i could provide my students with a really deep rich high quality music education even without any of those materials to support me so that's something that i love that you know if you teach in an environment where you don't have a big budget you know it's not about the flashy stuff and again the instruments are amazing and i'm so lucky to have the instruments i have and i love incorporating them into the philosophy but it's not you know inherent to it yeah and um i also wanted to highlight the if everybody wanted to play first violin there could be no orchestra and how it's, it also reminds me of the quote, the woods would be very silent if no birds sang except those who sang best. Yeah. And how yeah. it's not about being best. Yeah. And this idea of truly music for everyone and that we're, let's take the emphasis off of the competition and really put it back on just the fulfillment that we get being musicians and being musical with one another. Um, and I just... Also love that quote because it's something I keep in mind when, and it's sad that I even have heard music teachers say things like, well, this kid just doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. This, this, this other child, they're not musical. That's not their thing, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you believe that, if you believe that some kids are talented and they can be musical and other kids don't, stop teaching. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I can't, I can't soft pedal that. If you really don't think that all children deserve and can be musical, then you should not be teaching. 
I mean, that would be like a like an English teacher being like, well, this kid's never going to learn how to read, so why exactly. would I even bother? Like, we would never do that. We understand that each kid is on their own developmental level, and some kids might progress faster than others, and that's the same with music as well. But it's our job as teachers then to provide a meaningful experience for them and allow them to develop to their highest potential no matter where they're at. Exactly. And this is something that I've said to classroom teachers uh, who say, oh, you know, I can't sing. Oh, I'm I know. Yeah. Deaf. And it's interesting because my instructional coach, she brought this up a few weeks ago. Um, she said, I, I, I'll never forget when you told me you can sing. You just don't know it yet. You just haven't accessed that yet. Mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So that we really want to make sure that we are purveyors of the idea of everyone, music for everyone. And if we valued in this country, singing and reading and writing and creating music, like we do reading words and writing the English language, if we valued it and we put in the same amount of time, wouldn't everybody be very musical? Yeah. (laughs) It's a matter of priorities, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, with that said, what's our last? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. This is this this is all you. Okay. Lifelong musicianship. With music, one's whole future is brightened. This is such a treasure in life that it helps us over many troubles and difficulties. Music is nourishment, a comforting elixir. Music multiplies all that is beautiful and of value in life. Which yeah. Yeah. All of it. That's it. For sure. Yeah, music has been my my help, my guidance, my comfort, my joy. My, you know, there's always there's always some music can, that can that I can get something out of. And yeah, I mean, I think most music teachers would say that at some point, in some small way, music saved their life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, talk right now about social emotional learning and its importance. And I love how, you know, this quote is so many years old and it speaks to it right there. It talks about the nourishment and the comforting elixir. You know, we know this about music. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just need to call its attention to our students and ourselves maybe a little bit more. Um, You know, this idea that that music can fulfill you in a way that maybe other things can't. And it's just it's, you know, we're setting our students up for success, not just in the fact that they can read and write music, and that's that's a great skill, but mm-hmm. more this lifelong appreciation and understanding of music so it can be a part of your daily life. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So all that to say... We hope that we have given you some food for thought here. We are going to link in our show notes to um, programs here in the United States that are endorsed by the Organization of American Kodai Educators. So if you are interested in getting some Kodai training this summer, now is a really good time to be looking into that because uh, programs do fill up fast. We know this from experience in our own program that we teach at in Fort Collins. Um, You know, and we understand it's a big commitment, both time and financially. So we understand if, if it's not in the cards for this summer, you know, at least then we encourage you to look into in-person workshops with your local Kodai chapter. We'll also link to a list of all the Kodai chapters here in the United States. So hopefully something is close to you. And if not in person, maybe there's some virtual workshops you can attend, but we just will always preach that the importance of of in-person or, you know, virtual at least workshops and trainings, you know, versus just reading a blog or even listening to a podcast, we, we we highly emphasize 
advise and suggest that getting training or attending workshops in some way is really the best way to understand the philosophy more and just to be able to bring it to your students. Yes. And I, and I want to stress that we haven't talked um, about specific strategies or, you know, specific procedures, because those are the things that you get in your levels training. Yeah. Right. And that's why you want to do that. And if you have had your levels training, then I encourage you to keep going to workshops, keep searching out ways to grow your practice because you don't want to be stagnant. You want right. to know what's out there. Never and stop there's learning. a lot of wonderful things that are happening right now in the music totally. education Kodai world. So now it is time for a segment we lovingly call Know Better, Do Better, based on the beautiful Maya Angelou quote. And this is where we reconsider a practice or maybe even a specific song or material we're using our class and think about how we can do better for our students. So with that said, Tanya, what would you like to share? Okay, so um, as many teachers do, I, I share folk songs from other parts of the world. And I have noticed within the past year that I need to do more when I introduce a song from a specific country, a specific region. And it doesn't have to be long. And I've this past couple of years have been including that when I talk about a song, I want to tell people where it's from. I want to tell the students where it's from. And I want to show that on the map. So I know a lot of us have maps in our room. I've got a wonderful um, cloth world map and also a cloth American, United States of America map um, that I got at a fabric store. So that's awesome because it doesn't wrinkle and, you know, and I have that hung up. So I will often use that to show relations. Like here's where you live. This song happens to be from Brazil. Here's where Brazil is. Look how far away it is. So I want to make sure that when I'm introducing a song from Brazil, say, I want to give a little bit of information on where it is ge ge sorry, geographically, excuse me, where um, it is in relation to where we are in Colorado, uh, what language it's in, and maybe a little bit about why it's in that language. So you might have to talk a little bit about colonization, right? Because yeah. we know in South America, many of those countries, the prevalent language is Spanish, but not in Brazil. So we talk a little bit, a little bit about the colonization and why they speak Portuguese right. and not Spanish. Well, even Spanish is colonization. Well, yes, of course, Spanish <laughs> is colonization too. Well, yeah, but, I know yeah. you know that, but I'm just saying yes, pretty so, much it's going to happen everywhere unless it's an indigenous culture, right? Of course. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't let it get away so that, okay, now we've spent 20 minutes talking about, you know, how this area was colonized and, and all of that. So, you know, I'm not there to teach history. Of course, I'm not there. However, how can you not talk a little bit about the history. And isn't that one of the reasons why we include music from other countries is that yeah. we want to have a window into another culture. And kids are fascinated by it, which is so great. They want to know they what are. the language is and what the words mean. And I mean, they're, they're genuinely curious about it. So it's definitely time worth spent, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because kids really love it too. Right. And I know, and, and a while ago, 
several years ago, I might have said, hey, kids, here's a song from Brazil. Let's go. And that was it because I would think, you know, I'm a music teacher. We're doing music. We got to get into the music. We don't have time. We don't have time. Now, unfortunately, I understand that this might go against what a lot of districts are drilling down on as far as, I don't even know how to say it. I know that there are some laws or some bills, not laws, but bills that are popping up that have super control over what teachers teach in the classroom and that there are some people who are, can I say this, alarmist about, oh, my, the teachers are indoctrinating my children in this one way of thinking. Uh-huh. And that's not why I'm saying do this. I'm saying if you are going to present music from another culture, give them some background, give them a little bit more to grasp onto. It will be more meaningful. I'm not saying you have to say, and here's, you know, their political views and their religion. It's not a college course on Brazil. However, isn't it meaningful to show some pictures of the area? Isn't it meaningful to look at the Brazilian rainforest? Mm-hmm. Isn't it meaningful to talk about carnival that happens in this huge event that happens every year? So if you're not already doing that, you don't have to take a lot of time, but you owe it to yourself to know too uh, the specifics about the region, the country of the music that you're teaching is coming from. So I, it's something that I think is definitely worth doing. And if uh, you have administrators or school boards or parents that are asking to see your detailed lesson plans, I don't know. Yes, I think it's worth, I think it's worth fighting for to say, you know what? In the music room, music is not an isolated thing. It's connected to people and culture and all of this, and the students should know about it. Well, and I'm sure standards will back you up, whether it's the national standards or state standards. I guarantee there's something in there about (laughs) learning about music and from different cultures around the world. So I I think it's an easy sell if you always refer back to your standards. Unfortunately, sometimes that's what we have to do um, to, to provide that little bit of backup, but it's important to know where they can be found. Exactly. So anyway, that's just something I wanted to throw out there is that showing a map, showing some pictures from the region, talking a little bit about the language and the people is worth doing when we're introducing any song from that area. Totally. We all want to work smarter, not harder. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Carrie's got a brilliant tip that'll do just that. Well, okay. I I will say this... There's a little bit of work that goes into this. I wouldn't necessarily call it hard work, but it's one of those things that it's worth your time if you put into it. And that is building a good classroom website. And I want to talk specifically about a page that links to other pages. So, you know, during online learning time, um, I was responsible for 
sending the students that were 100% online, I was responsible for sending them asynchronous activities to do at home. So I would always give them like two lessons a week with some sort of response that they had to do. But then like every Friday, I would send them like, and now here's some musical choice time. And so something that I did was I built on my music room website, which I just did through Google Sites, you know, so whatever your district platform is, um, whether it's Google Sites or some sort of way that you can create this. I mean, talk to your tech people because every district's different. But the point is having a website where then now on this website, there are all these different links to all these different places. And I tried to make mine really kid friendly where like I would take a, a screenshot of that website, a photo. So like, for example, Chrome Music Lab, I took like a photo of like, you know, some of those colorful, you know, boxes on Chrome Music Lab. And then that photo became a link to Chrome Music Lab. And I did the same thing with Incredibox. I took a picture of the little dudes, you know, the little beatboxing dudes. And then that picture became a link to Incredibox. So kids kind of yeah. knew what they were clicking on to get there. And the reason why I say this is well worth it is because, you know, not only did I use this all year, and that was the thing my students said they loved the most. My students who were doing online learning is they loved the choice time activities because they love exploring all those things. But also even for my in-person learners. So that, that became kind of my early finishers thing. If we were ever doing something on the Chromebooks, either in Google Classroom or even on Seesaw, I would I would link to my website. And on my website are all of these links to all these different places. Because we know, especially with technology, some kids breeze through things really quickly. Some kids take longer. So having something that kids could do when they were done early that was fun and meaningful but gave them a menu of choices was great. And then the other reason why this website has come in handy is for sub plans. So oftentimes I'll leave something in my sub plans where the students have to do like an assignment that relates to what we're actually learning about during this week or this month or whatever. But then again, I always say, and when students are finished, they can go to the early finishers website. And even if they end up spending half of the class period on that website, at least I know they're doing sites that I've approved and I've chosen for the students that are meaningful, that are creative, that are interactive. And um, it's just, it's given me a lot of bang for my buck, so to speak. So it is work up front, but if you create a really easy user-friendly website for your students, you can use it for so many things. Awesome. So if you're interested in seeing what this might look like, I'm going to go ahead and link to my website. And the way that I've broken it down is by grade level. Even though there are a lot of overlaps of different activities different grade levels can do, I like breaking it down by grade level so I can give specific grades specific things. Like my sixth graders, I give them the link to Soundtrap because they were doing that and the other grades weren't. So anyways, I'm going to link to my website just so you have some inspiration of what a, a really good classroom website might look like. And if you have questions or or want to know some specifics, feel free to email me and I'd be happy to help. Excellent. So now it's time for our CODA section where we talk about things we are enjoying either in or out of the music classroom. So Tanya, what would you like to talk about? Alrighty. So I have been um, reading, actually, I mean, this counts as reading. You can read with your ears. I've been listening to the audiobook of Anxious People by Frederick Backman, and it's narrated by Marin Ireland. Um, I love the audio book of this book, the audio reading of this book. Um, the narrator, she does a wonderful job with all the voices 
which is kind of like a make it or break it thing for me as far as audiobooks go. And it's, I'm not going to, I don't want to spoil anything. I think the less you know, the better, but it's a book where the author does a lot of um, meandering around and kind of goes off on tangents, but it all makes sense. And sometimes when writers do that, I can find it irritating, but I don't know what it is about this author that um, it, it all makes sense and it's amusing, uh, especially the audiobook. So that's my recommendation is some is uh, Anxious People, specifically the audiobook. Uh, it's by the same author who did um, A Man Called Uva or Of. So it's that, and I haven't read that book either. So maybe now I will after this one. Nice. Okay. And you? I'm going to recommend a, an in-classroom thing, actually. Oh, um, look at you. So, yeah. So I, I did this last time, too. I talked about how this is the time of year I really like to talk about instrument families just because it's, I don't know, just coming back after winter break. I always want to talk about something that's just kind of fun for the kids and kind of light and, and easy to, to pull together. And there's so many resources out there. So I just wanted to mention, I found a great series of YouTube videos for like short little instrument demonstrations and they're all done by the United States Army Field Band. Oh, I and know so, these. Those are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like these, you know, one to two minute, you know, you know, average two minute clips where they like show how the instruments play. They play a couple of little snippets in different styles. And I just think they're perfect because um, they're just clear and, and short and sweet. And I just think they're great. So um, I will link to those on our show notes like the YouTube channel that houses those um, just great little instrument uh, demo videos for brass and woodwinds specifically. Very cool. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be talking about increasing student engagement in the music room, especially for this winter blues time of year. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.